Hello, diversifiers. This is Kate, not Holly, introducing the episode. And that is because Holly is still off being famous. So I've taken the entire podcast under my wing all the way up to Edinburgh Festival Fringe. We caught up with some representatives from Extinction Rebellion. Now, I know we've already done an Extinction Rebellion podcast, and that was mainly in gale-forced winds in Hyde Park, because the nature of Extinction Rebellion means that they are often busy and often doing things they did not expect to be doing earlier in the day. So, in perfect Extinction Rebellion fashion, I found myself at Edinburgh Fringe in a basement, surrounded by giant insects, chatting to two lovely but slightly frazzled representatives from Extinction Rebellion. Turn out the light, open the curtains. Go and do useful things you Welcome to Diversify. I am Kate, and I am Kate because Holly isn't with us today. She's off being famous or having a nap or something. But today, I am in the basement of Summer Hall at Edinburgh Fringe because for those of you that listened to the Extinction Rebellion episode a few weeks ago, you will know that we recorded an episode in Gale Force Winds. And in commemoration of that, we are now recording in a basement with some wonderful members of Extinction Rebellion. Would you guys like to introduce yourselves and tell us what you are doing in this basement? Hi, I'm Natalie Taylor. I'm an artist, I live in Edinburgh and I've been part of Extinction Rebellion since February and we were offered a wonderful opportunity by the Summer Hall curation team to put on an exhibition for the festival back in late April and since then we've been working towards visual art and a live event programme of exciting things to engage with through the Extinction Rebellion movement. Hi, my name's Monster Tetwind, I'm an artist I am very sympathetic and excited to work with the Extinction Rebellion and I've been invited to join in and today I've been working, uh, making an all-day workshop with different audience members. What's the process been like being offered this amazing opportunity with Edinburgh Festival? Has it been hectic? Are there lots of you working on it? Yeah, so um, yeah, we were really thrilled to be offered the chance to put together an exhibition and um, we quickly formed a, a small team of artists and interested parties and we basically had about five of us working on like a, designing a brief to invite artists to come and propose works for the exhibition and then over the course of about six weeks we chose people to take part in the visual and the, the live art events and things. At the same time we got into touch with Monster and very graciously she offered to do a workshop for us leading to a performance. How's the workshop gone? So satisfying and fun. Each time the different group of people that's come has been exactly as you'd hope, sort of earnest and into exchanging ideas and information and discourse, but then feverishly throwing themselves into the making and um, they've made really beautiful headdresses that are kind of almost like sculptures. And then the, the aim of, is that we're going to wear them and be very demonstrative of our politics. And I hope it will all come together. It's good. For those of you that can't see, I am in a room of giant insects at the moment. So, <laughs> and I'm not nervous at all. They're about uh, to come alive. <laughs> they do look wonderful. For anyone that isn't 
familiar with the importance of insects in this whole huge situation that we're in. Can you explain? But I will say that on a basic level, they're kind of like a, an iceberg, a tip of an iceberg, in that you realise the numbers of um, they're becoming endangered. They're, they're really dropping in terrifying numbers. And then I guess you, I don't know how to say it, like something that you wouldn't necessarily notice. You, you wouldn't even know. And the conservation is probably trying to make us all understand. But on a day-to-day -day level, I would think that people were just really not concerned or just not aware. And it was a very simple idea to relate to a particular insect. Each person that came to the workshop uh, looked at some information that we provided through the Extinction Rebellion like researchers. And there were, for example, I like the cadfly because it's quite sort of ugly and nondescript, but I found it rather adorable. Because <laughs> other people went for more glamorous, sort of, you know, admiral butterflies, like really glorious insects. But, but I really thought that it's more on an individual level that if someone, member of the public, wants to bother spending hours making a sculpture of the particular insect, then it's just a contemplative thing, and then hopefully it makes other people aware that, in fact, there are really huge numbers of them that are not going to be around in the future, very soon, very, very soon. I was going to ask why bringing art into this whole discussion and using it as a form of activism works. And we actually have had quite a few situations where someone <laughs> has said something or told us a story about something that happened to them or, or experience, and we've just carried it in the back of our heads and then just implemented it in our daily lives without even thinking it because it's just there so I think that's really lovely. Mm. I think you're right I think in terms of planting images in people's heads you know like these are really visual objects you know people are going to parade them in a moment through the meadows which is a really beautiful park in the centre of Edinburgh and hopefully turn lots of heads and I think if we can kind of implant that image of the magnificence of these beautiful creatures which in a couple of generations time may not exist children may not know that there was such a thing as a monarch butterfly or caddis fly or a dragonfly because they just won't see them anymore and you might see them in a book in a library but you won't actually have a chance to go to a river and actually experience a butterfly walking you know fluttering past your head so which i suppose we're in a sense honoring those creatures now in an attempt to tell everyone how important it is that we do still have insects who form a very important part of the food chain in terms of mammals fish birds you know rely on insects for survival so, you know, we're trying to alert people to that and the fact that we must preserve their habitats and stop using pesticides, for example, to, yeah. to keep them alive. What's the most unexpected or interesting thing you've learned from the shows that you've got on? The thing that's, um, that's rocked my boat, you know, rocked my socks off, whatever it is, is our green and pleasant land. And it's a um, fantastic, uh, incredible text. So I'm going to stop you right there and I'm going to read that very poem that Monster is talking about. And it's Alistair Elliot speaking of larks. Suddenly, larks are rare. A fertiliser kills the reasons for their song. Their landscape fills with whispers and some sharp-eared god enjoys papery music, low botanical noise. Friends give each other names of fields, not drugged where birds still practice their ascensions on transparent words, still disappear in light and silence where nobody else can hide. A span of air. You think of following them. The sound of summer now falls only on an airplane that echoes somehow in the soft sky. I'll find and interview a lark with my machine. But will that comfort you? 
Nature is leaving Earth. The species, one by one, withdraw their voices. Soon the creatures shall have gone, leaving the subtle horns of rock for nitrogen and oxygen and noble gas to play upon. The poem is taken from one of Mark Cocker's books in a chapter titled Our Green and Pleasant Land, which goes on to address the fact that despite our love of nature, England is among the world's worst nature-depleted countries. And it goes on to examine potential strategies for conservationists to, well, make people care more. Mark is an author and a naturalist, and you should definitely check out his work. I am drawn to working with Extinction Rebellion because I really feel like I need to be with people who really do have the fingers on the pulse and really able to put me in touch with certain texts or certain key articles that will completely inform me and make me feel that I'm like empowered by the knowledge and like really kind of up to date. And that, okay, maybe everyone could be depressed and apathetic because of the horrible information, but at the same time you just feel like so like rolling your sleeves up and doing something because you've at least read an article that's seriously pulling ball from your eyes and in the article it's so fantastic it on many many levels points out how depressing it is that we don't have proportional representation and that that's uh, we've that talked about that a lot yeah represented i mean i've been voting green since i was 18 i'm 46 now there's a level where you just feel uh, more and more bored and frustrated by all of that information the article is fantastic because it tells you small points for example it sounds odd but when you make language secular or vulgar you don't use latin names for an insect that's becoming extinct Instead, you maybe make a nickname up for it so it can become popularised so that people can then start talking about it and saying, oh my God, I'm concerned because the nitwit's dying, rather than some intensely intimidating Latin name. So in the article, it has all these very pragmatic ways of explaining how various annoying nature programmes on TV or there's a kind of horrible greenwashing or kind of wrong hope. If I'm being introduced to information like that, I would say this context is very exciting, whether it's through people seeing their artworks or people being given a reading list that's going to make them able to understand. I couldn't be more appreciative. I think it's, yeah. I think it's exactly the right thing to be. It's not wasting anyone's time. Super connected. People are communicating with each other really well. And because you have a common interest, everyone understands you. Everyone's able to turn up and immediately get on with what you're trying to achieve. I, th- I think it's very effective. It's making a change from where you are and slowly educating people. Do you think the main aim of Extinction Rebellion is to change government policy? I think that would be a brilliant goal, but there's also the classic understanding that every consumer has an ability to vote through how they shop. Everyone knows that, but if they really start owning it, then it's a really exciting empowerment. It's really easy to... There's two ways to go, I'd say, in that one. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. I think there's two, like you say, there's a two-pronged approach. I think individuals can start making very informed consumer choices. But also, it has to come from top down, and I think certain legislation must happen in terms of not fracking anymore, not taking out any more oil or gas from the sea. Basic things like keeping fossil fuels in the ground have to happen in order to slow down the carbon content in the air. So yeah, I think it has to be both, you know, both people have to start sort of acting individually and being as aware and sensitive in the environment and the impacts they have on their sort of daily lives as they can, but also that we all join together as a huge collective voice and start realising that it's not too late and that we do have a chance, if there are enough numbers of us, to make a positive impact on how government runs our country. 
And if people listening here have heard this, have heard the episode that we did with Kay, and are perhaps interested in giving maybe a little bit of their time or loads of their time to Extinction Rebellion, what would you recommend them doing in the first instance? Yeah, I think it's pretty easy. So go online, look at the Facebook page or the website and see what's happening in your local area. There's bound to be a really nice team of people who are super interested in talking about what you might be interested in, what concerns you may have, and then how those concerns can turn into a positive action. And for me, it's been amazingly empowering. I've, I've been through so many emotions this year since joining XR, you know, in terms of facing the sort of enormity of the task in front of us, but then finding that there's so much energy between people to do things, and I think that energy is very connecting and solidifying. I think, you know, you, like you're saying, Monster, there's a sort of instant connection with people. We're all on the same side, we're all in this together basically about sharing the message and trying to work towards a positive future. And I have one final question. On a scale of 1 to 10, how tired are you at the end of August? Are you exhausted? <laughs> or could you go on for another oh, few weeks? Oh, yeah, I'm at 7.5 just now. I think <laughs> well, I've been here for three days and I already feel like I can't go on. So you guys are doing really well. <laughs> Now, obviously, it wouldn't be an episode of Diversify if I didn't ask them to bring a bit of sunshine. And this is what they gave us. A bit of sunshine, but more than anything, a call to arms. My friends in Glasgow are running the Wee Rebellion. I'm sure it's everywhere for sort of kids, and they're very proactive, and they do really exciting um, climate justice rallies and all sorts of, like, literally taking over the streets. And there's, there's two really big dates coming up very soon. So okay. on the 20th of September, there's a general strike across the whole of the UK where any worker in any profession or any student can join in a general strike and basically not show up for work or education on that day and just fill the streets so that our voices and our feet are all moving in the same direction. And then from the 7th of October, there's going to be a big a big protest in London, a little bit like the International, uh, International Rebellion Week in April. So there'll be lots of activity on the streets. So just come to the London and join in all the fun and make your voices heard. The minute I started recording all of this, a helicopter decided to start flying above my house. I'm not paranoid, but I actually think that this helicopter has been flying in a circle around my house for the last half hour. And I am every bit convinced that the minute I stop recording, go out and live my life, the helicopter's just gonna leave. Maybe even follow me down the street.